Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. Jesus Christ, this is a bad angle for me. Higher Learning is on. Is I, Van Lathan Jr. Sorry, and it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. <laughs> I was reading something. You just popped right in. I you're wasn't reading, ready. You're reading stuff from Texas this weekend? The Oklahoma State game? Van, is that how we're going to start off the podcast? I'm just asking. I, yeah, listen, the odds were against us, right? OK State was OK State was ranked higher. It was their homecoming. It was on their home field. Mm-hmm. We were leading for a time, which is why you I thought, well. <laughs> which is why I thought, Texas oh, we got good. this in the bag. I stepped away for a second, saw the comeback. We couldn't hold on to the lead. It was it was tough. We looked good. OK State was about they played a better game. What, yeah. what can I say? What can I say? Did you see what happened in Baton Rouge? Joe loss? No. Who'd you play? Played the number seven team in the country. Who's the number seven team in the country? Ole Miss. Are they? Yeah, number seven team in the country. Not anymore. <laughs> Y'all aren't ranked. Yes, we are. Now? Yeah. What? 18. Y'all jumped up to 18 with that win? We beat them 45 to 20. Wow. Jane Daniels. Harold Perkins. B.J. Ojolari, Kayshawn Boutte, Brian Thomas Jr., Jay Ward, Makai Wingo, okay, Jack Bernard Converse. You know what I'm saying? We're playing ball. We're playing ball. Armani Goodwin is playing ball. Josh Taylor is playing ball. We're playing ball in Baton Rouge. We're playing ball at LSU. We're playing ball. Polian's got him playing ball. God damn it. Davis, the O-line coach, has got him playing ball. We're about the two true freshmen starting on the offensive line. We got Emory Jones Jr. and Will Campbell. They're playing ball. You done? We're playing ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Van. Y'all won. Good. It was an upset. Did I mention Sage Ryan? I, I lost I lost track of the names. Did I mention Greg Penn? Van. Did I mention Michael Baskerville? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Did I mention? What's wrong? Yes, yes. Did I, did I mention? You named them all. Did I mention Tremont Shorts? Y- yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. You named them sure. all. Uh, I just want to make sure that I don't leave anybody out. Okay. Did I mention we put Noah Kane on kickoff return and we stopped? Dropping the kickoff. I hope return? you keep up this momentum with the team. I hope the team doesn't let you down. We got Alabama. We got a buy, and then we got Alabama. And guess what I'm saying right now? We want Bama. Where's the game? We want the be- the game is in Baton Rouge. Why don't you go? The game is in BR Baton. The game is in Baton. Hold on for a second. I gotta say it right. I got. Hold on. Just give me a second. Baton. Get warmed up. Baton Rouge. It's a Baton Rouge. Okay, we got we got studs coming in. We got guys coming in next year. We got Jordan Allen coming. He's a freshman, a little pup on the team right now. Landon Ibietta. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> we got Manning. Oh, you guys got Manning coming in. That is true. Got Even though I like our quarterback right now. Oh, he's good. And Texas played good. Stuff. Like, Texas is... Doing great. Like here's the thing. That's a tough game. On the road, 
like against, like you said, against the number eleven team in the country, Oklahoma State's good. Texas yeah. nearly won. Quinn Ewers, if Quinn Ewers would have played maybe a slightly cleaner game, you guys would have won. But you guys are a good team. No, I, I know it was a tough loss. It was it's a tough, tough loss. loss. Cowboys won though, so you know. Who they play? Detroit. We ain't gotta talk about that. It's all right. Oh, they played the Lions. Oh, Detroit. Won? Yeah, uh, Dak's back. Oh, Dak Prescott came back. Mm-hmm. They didn't overdo it. Which was great. What did he do? Did he? He was like he, nineteen for twenty five. Okay, so he played a little a over two hundred yards. Yeah, pretty accurate. They ran the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. It's good. Uh, the Cowboys have uh, Dre Jenkins, right? Who? Dre Jenkins. He plays wide receiver for the Cowboys, right? Does he? Oh, I'm sorry. He plays for LSU. As I does Malik. Like, what? As does Malik <laughs> Neighbors. Man, <laughs> Donnie, I forgot. Are you really a Lions fan? Yuck. Yes, Donnie, how does it feel to have never won anything? It sucks. It honestly sucks. No, it does. But I feel like at some point, at some point in my lifetime, we are going to win. And it's going to feel so good. So I'm just holding out out for that moment. Wow. Who's who's going to be the quarterback that takes you guys to the promised land? Who, Jesus? Y'all going to have to come. Jesus is going to have to call. The second coming. He's, he's probably in middle school right now. He's a child, whoever it is. Why I feel like the, the Pistons, why, they'll win a championship before the well, Lions the do. Get, they fuck around and get good. Like, why does – I always wonder, what can keep a franchise sucking for, like, 30 years? If you ask Bad people management. in Michigan, they'll say the owners. Yeah. They'll say they need to sell the team. The Fords. It's they bad the management. Fords. They say the same thing about us with Jerry. Well, I mean – so Jerry won before. Jerry won before. How long has it been since we've even, we haven't even gotten close? Not an NFC championship. Yeah. Not a, we haven't even been close. Don't make me relive. Don't make me talk about the team like this. You know, it's been like twenty seven years. What? Since we made it to the Super Bowl. Because you guys, I mean, you guys were good when you had Garrett Nussmeyer. Mm. He plays for LSU. Mm. Man, I'm not doing this anymore. Garrett Nussmeyer plays for LSU. <laughs> Okay, Walker Howard. Donnie, make him stop. How's Bozeman? Man, how's Bozeman? Oh, Bozeman's doing better. Oh, yeah, how's Bozeman? Bozeman finally got neutered. It was not a great situation. Why? Uh, Number one, we... Okay. So, our dentist's name is Jack Besh. Okay. That's not true. Jack Best plays for LSU. Okay. Van? Okay. okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't like seeing the dog anything other than super happy, lively, upbeat. Uh-huh. He's – and like Bozeman was – it feels like when we when he came out of the vet's office, he wouldn't get in the car. He was just so disoriented. He was like, what the hell? Why am I so tired? Like, where are my balls? That's not what he was thinking. And then it's like, what? Who am I to take? I feel like Van Lathan, animal agent, he 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 betrayed Bozeman. Who am I to take Bozeman's balls? Who am I to make that decision for him? Well, why did y'all decide to make that decision? Because they say it's better for his health. Well, he then there long. you go. But that's not still. That's you not, made the right decision. That's not my decision to make. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it was right. It's not my decision to make. Bozeman was you born. You are his parent. There are other decisions that you make for you make for Bozeman too that, that are in his best interest. I know, but um, like if I have real kids one day, not real kids, but if I have human, <laughs> if I have if I have human kids one day, I can't take their balls. 
Okay, because that's not something that we do. That's not better for their health. How do we know? I don't, you have to, at some point you just got to trust. Are there studies about whether or not, I bet you society would be better. Well, never mind. Because they're just going to get mad and say that I'm like I get my ass kicked for almost everything that I say I'm just they're just gonna say oh Vince I'm, look I don't, all I'm saying is this I don't I, I didn't want to take the dude's balls man well he's doing better though he's doing better he's starting to play again great he's, he's got the cone of shame on we took a nap earlier today you know great I don't want to take the man's balls they're gone now you gotta move past it gotta you gotta move the past the balls, balls. We got they're a, gone we got a fantastic interview coming up we really do yeah. He gave us a lot of time, too. A lot of time. Billy, I appreciate that. Billy Porter. We got Billy Porter coming on the podcast. A legend. Yeah. A super duper legend. Um, talks about a lot of stuff. You got very passionate. Billy Porter is very passionate. He's always him. passionate, which I did think is just part of the reason why he's so successful. Talented, but also passionate. What, what Would you have to go somewhere after this, or are you just coming from extra? Um, I'm coming from extra and then I'm going to go meet a couple of friends for, um, dinner and drinks. What do you got? What kind of, what kind of dinner are you guys going to have? Where are you guys going? Holloway house. What the fuck is that? It's like a Soho house. It's the new oh, one. Jesus Christ. See what I'm saying? No, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what is wrong with you? No, no. Mess all this up. No. Why do you stay? No. No. I was in, it's, I've never been before. It's my first job. It's my first time. Why do you, why do you keep going to, knock that shit down. Where'd I go? Why, why do you keep going to these different LA swanky places, man? I go where I'm invited. Somebody invited me. That's a group true. of people. You know them. Who? Justin. Oh, okay. Justin's Justin. Cool. Justin's yes. from Louisiana. I know. What's so, so what? But when I call him, he's not shouting out the whole roster Justin, for the Justin, LSU Tigers. Justin just I saw Justin hanging out with Charles Turner one time. No, you did not. Stop. Charles Don't make Turner, me. Who's, who's I team, know. He's somebody on the team. <laughs> <laughs> I know. At this point. And you wonder why a couple of podcasts ago you were like, why don't people believe me? This is why. What? You're a dentist. You you put my friend with with whoever else. Other person we're going out with is uh, uh Nichelle. Nichelle, I don't know who that is. Nichelle Turner. Oh yeah, Nichelle's great. So um I have to say something. I spoke to Jomi from the Midnight Boys. Mm-hmm. And I want to let people know the story I told about Jomi meeting Michelle Yo. Oh, he got mad at me. Was it true? <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, Donnie, did you know that was a joke? No. Nah, I didn't. It was See, a joke. You got to stop. You got to stop. Did Jomi so, get upset? Jomi, he didn't get upset, but you wanted me to set the record straight. Jomi did meet Michelle Yo as we all <laughs> met her at Lawrence's house. But no, Jomi did not react in that I way when he met Terry. Michelle Yo. I don't know if I can continue the podcast in this way. Well, look, I don't know. look we have a lot of you guests. You've got to say I'm just kidding after. That is probably, I probably should say I'm just kidding. Um, we got a lot of guests <laughs> coming Jomi. up in the future of this podcast. Yeah. Like, and I think we got Mason Taylor coming up. No, we don't. Stop. The tight end. Stop. We don't have Mason Taylor. That I know because of Jason. Yeah, that's Jason's son Mm -hmm. and Joy's nephew. Mm -hmm. All right. Damian Ramos could come. He's the kicker. Okay, that's enough. Now I'm addicted to it. Now I can't stop doing it. This is what happens. I I get stuck on something and I can't stop doing it. Why don't you go to the game? Good. I'm going to a game. Nigga, this shit is in Louisiana. So? I got a lot of shit to do, man. Hip Hop Homicides is getting ready to come out. Hip Hop Homicides You're about comes to out. go on a media tour. Hip, yeah, Hip Hop Homicides comes out next week. 
Next wow, week. Wow, we should be talking about this Hip-hop more. Hip Hop Homicides comes out next week on We TV and streaming on All Black. What what na- uh, night? Um, Thursday, Thursday, November third. Hip Hop Homicides comes out. Please watch Hip Hop Homicides, and it's gonna be great. So I don't, I don't be having time to to top a. Gym. I'm not. Hey, not everybody like you, nigga. You be going all around. Rachel, where you at this weekend? I gotta go to Zimbabwe, to get a bag, and then come back. <laughs> Rachel, where you going? I got a wedding. <laughs> I can't go, where, 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 where's, you gotta go to Tucson it was Scottsdale okay I go to Scottsdale <laughs> Arizona then Vegas then Seattle and then I gotta go do a, a a teacher's meeting in New York and then I gotta come back Rachel t- Rachel traveled so much she did the podcast from the fucking airport don't tell me I got shit I, I gotta do stuff and so I don't have time to go to the LSU game have you gone to a Texas game this year no, I don't have time. See? <laughs> I can't get there. The last LSU game I went to, we was with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, because it was here. here. Man, I would love to go. I've never been inside an LSU stadium. I have been to the tailgate. Yeah. Because remember I told you I used to date that guy from Zachary. Yeah. But I've never been inside. Mm. Inside I the go. actual stadium. Yes, for a game. I want to go. Yeah. I have this. Th- I want to go to all big college stadiums. It would be great to like see a lot of them, right? Because I've only really seen the ones in the SEC. I've been to Gainesville. I've been to Gainesville. I've been to uh, Bryant Denny Stadium, that's in uh, in Alabama. Uh, Jordan Hare Stadium, that is in that's Auburn. Um, been yeah, to Georgia. Been to all of these places. Been to Knoxville once. Been to all the Mississippi schools. Oh, so wow. I've, I've been to those. You've been to a lot. Oh yeah, we used to tr- we used to travel. We used to get in the, we used to and make it on down there. You know what I'm saying? CLSU, baby. Go CLSU. I can't wait, bro. I can't wait till we're back, back. Right now, we're having a good season. Last season sucked so bad. Oh, we're not going to be able to shut them up around here if they go. But you know what? If Texas was, if Texas was like that, Texas is back. Texas you was down. No, but I mean, I mean, like, yeah. If we had beaten Alabama and you know we were headed to another national championship, what else? What else? You what? What are you gonna order for dinner tonight? Like what's? What? what I don't know. I've never been eat? there. I don't know. I've let's look at the menu. There. No, let's not look at the menu. We're doing way too much around here. Nah, hold on for a second. We gotta we gotta look at the menu because what we should do is we should let the thought warriors not pick my food. What you're gonna eat? No, you know how picky I am. Let's see, Holloway House Social Club. Ooh. Oh wait, this is the Soho House. I said it's a Soho House. It's not. It's <clears> not the one in West Hollywood. So wait, it's a different one. They got multiple. So wait, why would they open another Soho House in West Hollywood? I'll let you know when I get there. Maybe the other one's too crowded. Maybe it's too sceny. I don't know. They got bedrooms in the Holloway House. They have bedrooms in the Soho House. Wait, what? Not the. I don't think the West Hollywood one, but downtown. Oh yeah, that, downtown is the whole fucking. Wait, wait a minute, man. When did this? When did this come out? Like a couple of months ago. Holloway House food menu. Okay, here we go. I'm sorry, Thought Warriors. Wait, it's not. No, it's not. There's nothing. Yes. The, 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 this is good. Okay, so this is the the. They got matzo ball. They got roasted tomato soup. They got chicken liver toast. Okay, meatballs, mac and cheese, baked goat's cheese, halibut crudo. Whatever. Let's go to the. Okay, these are the large plates because you're gonna have dinner, right? You're gonna be hungry. I am. They got corn ravioli. They got Mary's Farm flat iron chicken. They got organic salmon. Alaskan halibut. 
halibut, steak frites. Did we lose you? No. <laughs> okay, what's, what's wrong? I already know what you're going to get. Oh, my gosh. Don't tell me. they Not with caramelized apples. Oh, they got a pork chop. You're right. They got a pork chop. I'm already salivating. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Rachel's going to eat another big slab of pork. Jesus Christ, I can't believe it. <sighs> I've never been so excited. Get the hell out of here. All right, you guys. Uh, we got Billy Porter coming up in a little bit. Rachel's going to the Holloway house tonight. Fucking mm. Drake will probably be there. Drake turns 36 this year. His birthday or something coming up. Um, What? Leslie Jordan. Oh, very sad. We have to talk about that. I, I, I was really... I just saw him last month. Really? I just... Have you ever met him? No, I haven't. There is... Social media doesn't do him justice. When you So there were a couple of people... I feel like in COVID that I really got into that always made me smile when I would watch him on social media. Danny Pellegrino. I started listening to his podcast about housewives. Stevie Mackey, Taco Tuesdays. I don't know if you've ever seen him. Mm-mm. All these artists come together on a Tuesday and sing these rendition of songs. I mean, insanely talented. I finally got to go to my first one this past week. Mm-hmm. And Leslie Jordan, who I knew who he was. You know, he's been in multiple things. Yeah, he's a very popular character. But you really got to know him through his storytelling and everything mm-hmm. he was doing on social media. And even when I was going through something, I would always just scroll through his social media just to laugh, just to listen to him. But to meet him in person, full of so much joy, so fun, so nice. Made He made you feel like he knew you forever. Mm-hmm. And you might have only been in his presence for like five minutes. I saw him last at um, the uh, Jennifer Hudson show. We were on the show together. He went out before me. Mm-hmm. And we were like all captivated backstage just watching him tell stories or listening to him tell stories about his life and how he grew up. And he was speaking about recently losing his mother and then his sister. So when you when I heard that news today, I just, oh my, like I just, you know, I just got like such a pit in my stomach mm-hmm. hearing that. I just, you know, family, friends, everyone who knew him just sending you all a lot of love yeah yeah it just seemed like a really vibrant sort of wellspring of 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 life and good energy so i mean we definitely need more of those and not less so rest in peace to leslie leslie jordan all right we will be back on the other side of this with the big deal of the day this episode is brought to you by hyundai you could be doing anything this week right you've got work errands friends and a whole lot of fun in between That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, Clarence Thomas freezes order for Lindsey Graham to testify before Georgia Grand Jury investigating the 2020 election. Judge Clarence Thomas on Monday agreed to temporarily freeze a lower court order requiring the testimony of Republican Senator Lindsey Graham in front of an Atlanta area special grand jury that's looking into the bogus claims to fuck with the election in 2020. Thomas acted alone because he has jurisdiction of the lowest court of the lower court, <clears throat> excuse me, that issued the order. The move is an administrative stay 
that was most likely issued Monday to give the Supreme Court justices more time to consider the dispute. The court has asked for a response from the Georgia investigators by Thursday. Fannie Willis, who is the uh, Fulton County District Attorney, that's a name that you guys might have been hearing recently, is a Democrat. She is spearheading a special grand jury investigation into Donald Trump-aligned efforts to manipulate the results of that election. She's indicated that she would like to question Lindsey Graham on specific calls that he made to election officials in Georgia after the election. Rachel, you heard this news. And what the fuck do you think about it? Big deal, little deal, medium deal. What do you think? What big deal, little deal, medium? What are you talking about? I'm asking you if you what kind of deal you think this is. <laughs> Clarence Thomas's name being attached to, even though it's Lindsey Graham's in possible involvement with um, the election and and voting and all of that, just anything with Clarence Thomas that's tied to this that that's tied to anything with the Trump administration always just is triggering to me because I feel like even though we know that our Supreme Court justices are, they're supposed to be bipartisan. We know they're not by who votes them. I'm not votes them, but who appoints them um, into office. But when I see Clarence Thomas tied to anything and he's well within his right to stay this as he did, it just seems so wrong to me because of his wife being involved so much with January 6th. And it seems like the preparation for for all of that to take place. She had her hands in it even after it. She seemed to be involved in some sort of way, at least making certain phone calls to um, people within Trump's administration. So when I see him tied to this, it just does. It seems dirty. It seems like he has his and 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 like I said, he's well within his right to do this. He's not wrong, but something about it just seems so wrong. That was my first reaction when I saw it. But I mean, what are you going to do? I, he's given at this point. Clarence Thomas has given the prosecutors in Georgia till Thursday to respond to this to this um, order of his. I foresee it moving forward. I think that Lindsey Graham is going to have to testify. Uh, the way that that whatever whatever the exact clause, what's the name of the clause that he's um, the Constitution speech or debate clause that he's trying to hide behind. It seems like certain actions that he did don't protect him. Certain things that he said um, aren't covered by that clause. So it sounds like, which a court already ruled on, it sounds like he eventually will have to probably end up testifying. So. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens there. Uh, I think, you know, this is, in the grand scheme of things, probably not going to do much to, um, to, like you said, stop what's eventually going to happen, which is Lindsey Graham testifying. Right. And that's learning a little bit more. I think the, the reaction to the action itself speaks more to people's opinion of the court right now. There was a time in America where the Supreme Court was looked at as a body that made tough but constitutionally accurate decisions. There was a... There, what time? Before this time. Before this time. Yeah. There was a, I mean, there was a time when, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, made what I consider to be the right decision on Roe. There was a time when the Supreme Court took on all kinds of cases that were tough, but there was a sort of... There was a cleanness 
about the court. Not that they always made decisions that people agree with or that I agree with, but there was a cleanness about the court. There was a a grace um, and a perception of the court that by the time it got to them, that what you would get was the uh, actual actual instrument of justice, mm-hmm. you know, that you would get something that was akin to, it was the purest part of America, like the Supreme Court itself. It was something to where it was about the arguments based upon the rights that you're supposed to have as an American citizen. I think it started at a certain point, right? Like mm-hmm. Brown versus Board of Education. Because let's not forget the Supreme Court before was saying that, you know. Yeah, but I'm not talking was, about that because I wasn't like around. But you weren't around in the 50s either. I know, and that but, seems but, but what I'm telling you is that what I'm telling you is the Supreme Court that I came to know. I'm not even talking about. Okay, Brown versus okay. I just want to clarify no, that the Supreme Court has not always been doing. The Supreme Court has right always thing. been fucked and they've always made okay. bad decisions. But there was a point where in my life, at least I'll speak for myself in my life, at least when I came of age, well, I thought, hey. By the time something gets to the Supreme Court, what you're going to get is some semblance of fairness um, and some, at least the appearance that the decision being made is in the best, uh, of the best interest of American freedom sure. and American justice. Mm-hmm. That is completely gone. The So now, whatever happens with the court, there'll always be an air of skepticism. Uh, there'll always be, and look, I'm not saying that as a black man, I thought that we ever, we ever got a fair shake in the American judicial system. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that now this court is so forfeit and so tainted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reputation of it is just so destroyed uh, that I just, I, I question everything. I don't trust them. I don't like them. I think Clarence Thomas is top 10 worst people ever to have power in the history of American politics. I think, and I'm curious to what you think, I think it's always going to be this way. I think it's it's ruined. I think it's going to be hard to separate politics from the court from here on out. I don't know how you get back to the place that you felt, and me too, mm-hmm. that the Supreme Court was when we were coming up. I don't think I don't think you can separate the two anymore. First of all, they sit on the court forever. Yeah. So it's not changing anytime soon, you know, unless something terrible happens. So I don't think that we had this much discussion about the court because I I think that it was probably less. I mean, in our in our lives, I don't think that I don't think that they were what they did was as important to our. When I would hear about Supreme Court cases, um, I would hear about. People that were able to argue something all the way to, to Supreme Court and beat the case on the basis of, of, of freedoms guaranteed to you in the Constitution. You hear about Larry Flint. You know, there were some cases like Roe, which then established something that was sweeping across millions and millions and millions of people. But more so, it was almost an intimate thing where you had this group of people that whose job it was to make sure that certain tenets of American existence stayed the way that they are. And they weren't weapons. They weren't weapons of mass destruction, at least not the way I looked at them. Uh, And now it seems that they're just another arm, another symptom of what's going wrong in the country. And as far as our ability to kind of restore the integrity of the court, I think that's a larger question about whether or not Americans will ever be able to trust each other again. And each other or those in power. Well, each other first, because remember, if if I trust if I trust you right, 
if I trust that for you, we're we're living in a community together, and we're both going to understand that in order to live in this community, there are going to be some things, some ways, some deals that we're going to make where we're both going to lose slightly. Mm -hmm. Or in the grand scheme of things, even if it's not one issue or two issues that we both lose on, there are going to be enough losses on your side and another enough losses on my side to where we're going to get to a place that we can have this thing called compromise. And compromise keeps peace. Compromise keeps civilization going forward. Compromise, you know, uh, keeps us, keeps us rolling on. But if the compromises are being made around what I can do with my body, like my right to live, my right to move, my right to vote, things that are fundamental. Sure fundamental pieces of American existence, then if I have to compromise on those things, then I can't. Yeah. And so the question is, how do we move the country to a point to where (laughs) we can agree to disagree again? And the Supreme Court's a big part of that because they're now not acting in the will of the law. They're acting on behalf of the will of the people. Absolutely. Which is why there's this separation of powers, which their people should say, yeah, you, you know, you've got executive with the president, you've got the legislative with Congress and you know that that's political, you know, that's partisan. Mm -hmm. The judicial stood alone by itself where, like you said, it's the law of the land. They make these decisions. There was, they were just held in such high esteem. Now they've become, they've muddied the waters. Mm -hmm. That's why I said with Clarence Thomas doing this stay, it just seems so dirty. It seems dirty. Very dirty. Like it might be. It, for all I know, it could be business as usual. But I just don't trust the court it, anymore. It, it's it's it is business. It is they're allowed to do it. You know, they all each one has certain um, jurisdictions across the country. Each Supreme Court justice, and this is under his jurisdiction. But it seems that the subject matter of mm-hmm. what the order is related to sure. is what makes it seem so dirty. But back to the the branches, judicial is the one you looked at and you said, but they're not. Even if they were, they did not give the appearance. It did not seem like they were affected mm-hmm. um, by the decisions from the executive or the legislative branch. They stood alone because their job was to follow the law as it was yeah. written. And now that's not what's being done. When you look at what's happening with Roe and then you look at the things that Clarence Thomas is trying to push forward that is going to take away the rights of even more people, uh, more people, I mean. And to be honest with you, the, you know, the Supreme Court... In in the effort to hold up or reaffirm one of the central tenets of American existence, which is the right to vote and the right to have your votes counted and to facilitate a peaceful transfer of power, there shouldn't be one body in American life that's more interested in making sure that things have been done by the book of the Constitution when it comes to elections to the Supreme Court. It's supposed to uphold that, not be a part of poking holes in it. So um, it just reminded me how much everything sucks right now. (laughs) You know, how much everything fucking blows. Uh, So you guys normally we hold the interviews for a while, but we're going to give you a big one right here. Mm -hmm. Motherfucking Billy Porter. Yeah. Talked to Billy about some of everything, including his uh, new memoir. It came out last year, but it's available in paperback right now. And a brand new film that he has on Amazon. Billy also gets very, very passionate mm-hmm. 
about how he feels like or his opinions on hip hop and what hip hop has meant to his existence the last couple of generations. You will not want to miss this. Billy Porter on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. You guys, we have a unique opportunity here on Higher Learning, the podcast, because we have a unique individual, a cultural treasure, an icon, Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Award-winning actor, singer, writer, and director trying to take all the jobs so nobody else has one. <laughs> we got Billy There's Porter. <laughs> we got Billy Porter joining yes. us today on Higher Learning. What an amazing, amazing guest. Billy, the first thing that jumps out at me I want to ask you is, Emmy, Grammy, and Tony. Two Tonys, by the way. Two Get Tonys. Get right, Billy. Multiple Tonys. <laughs> Just saying. Do, do, Two Tonys. How important is the EGOT situation for Billy Porter? Like, a lot of people tell me the Tony is the toughest part to win. You have, you're so decorated. Do you want the Oscar to finish out the whole EGOT experience? The short answer to that question is yes. <laughs> okay. And... All right. And mm -hmm. I am an artist first. Okay. My work is the most important. I would be doing this whether I had awards or not. Mm. Now, the truth of the matter is, for me as a Black queer man in this world, the decorations, as you call it, the awards actually mean something mm -hmm. for me. Things do change for me with those. They have changed with those titles and those awards. The Oscar would help immensely for me to kick down doors, even more doors that are still closed for me. The white boys don't need it. The straight boys don't need it. It happens for them anyway. Mm. But for me, when that, those awards are surround, are a part of the conversation, there is a change mm. and there has been a change. And, you know, I am taken quite seriously now because of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky place, mm. right? It's a tricky space to be, but I, I always give that same answer. Billy, you talk about other doors, doors that are closed that you want to walk through. What else do you yeah. want to do? Like, what what do you see? You do so much, and I'm sure you're working on so much right now. But what's a door that's been closed for you that you want to that you want to walk through? Uh, you know, first of all, I'm trying to be the head bitch in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so you're well on your you way. Know, I'm close. <laughs> you know, the thing for me is. I just directed my first feature film last summer. It was released this July on Amazon Prime. It's called Anything's Possible. 
And it follows, you know, it's a it's a rom-com, romantic comedy coming of age story that follows a black trans girl in high school. She gets a Muslim boyfriend. It's a celebration of life. Mm-hmm. And our heroine just happens to be black and trans. I want to be at the forefront of telling the stories of my people and my community, the voices that have been silenced for a really long time. And while there has been a lot of change and a lot of progress, there's still a lot of lip service Hmm. when it comes to the green lighting of certain projects. Mm -hmm. I just started certain types of projects. I just started my uh, production company it's called Incognito. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Love it. You want that? <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, I just started, so this is not a complaint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but trying to get that thing greenlit, trying to get those things greenlit, trying to get my projects greenlit. You know, post COVID, the business has been constricting. Mm-hmm. You know, I use Netflix as like very parallel to the tech bubble. Mm. You know, Netflix and was the first streaming service to plant their flag in the space. And, And the way they did it was throwing bags of money at everything and everybody. It seemed as if they had pockets so deep that they would that it would never end right Mm -hmm. and everybody followed behind that and now it's collapsing in on itself Hmm. just like the tech bubble that imploded or exploded or whatever you want to call it and so it's really hard right now to get really brilliant projects greenlit Hmm. Those are the doors that I'm trying to break down, whether I'm writing and directing it, whether I'm creating it, whether I'm just producing it, whatever it is, you know, I'm coming up against walls with it. Now, you know, that never has deterred me um, and we will be fine. But specifically in this moment, it's that it's also for me, you know, I'm working on my new music. Uh, I'm signed to Republic Records Mm -hmm. uh, in conjunction with Island in the UK. Top record label in the business is Republic right now. I have a pop album ready. I'm 53 years old. Mm. And the question, not for me, it's not a question, Mm -hmm. but the jury is still out as to whether or not one can enter the pop music space in their 50s. Mm. I'm doing it. Mm. The work is there. Mm -hmm. It's the most extraordinary experience I've had, you know, as in terms of my music, you know, I've been in the music business for a very long time. My first, a lot of people don't know this, but my first R&B album on A&M Records came out in 1997. Mm. Yeah, I actually saw the video uh, was going around on Twitter. 
The one from yeah. the, the song from um, First Wives Club. It was some real yes. Gerald. It was some real R and B there. Yeah, Billy, it's a different yeah. Billy Porter. Yeah, mm. and they kicked my black faggot ass out. <laughs> and I can say it now. <laughs> I can say it out loud and talk about it because it is the truth. And when it comes out of my mouth, it doesn't. It's not received as if I'm a hater because I am successful. Yes. I did it anyway. Yeah. I went the back way. I I, I joke and say I came in the back way. Mm. And so now it's about, you know, I spent the first 20 years of my career trying to be taken seriously as an artist, particularly as an actor, Mm. you know, and now all this, all, all this has evolved and happened. And, you know, I read posts, that say, oh, I didn't know Pray Tell could sing. Mm. You know, and it's like the, the singing voice is the actual gift from on high. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that gave me the courage to expand my art in all of these other places. Yeah. So now I have to like circle back and go, no, y'all, daddy is the thing. <laughs> Nothing, <laughs> you know, like it's, you know, it's an interesting place. So I don't, you know, it's not a, you're talking, we're talking in terms of doors. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, so now I'm kicking, I'm, I'm trying to kick that pop music door down so I could play stadiums like Gaga and Beyonce. Cause that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Recently a movie came out bros. Yes. That, that um, that Billy Eichner did. And yeah, um, I saw the movie. Good movie. Yes, good movie. Great, movie. fun movie. Good movie. Fun. Um, didn't do the numbers that some people thought that the movie would do. Billy Eichner said that. In I'm gonna paraphrase what Billy said. He said that he felt like the movie didn't get the support from straight audiences that it needed to be a successful rom com. Two questions for you. Number one, do you think that straight people should support LGBTQ plus projects like Bros more? And number two, do you think the criticism um, that straight people wouldn't go see a movie like that, whether or not that's the reason why they didn't see it or not, do you think that's fair? Do you think Billy was right in what he said? Because a lot of people were mad. A lot of people were like, well... If it, it, it's not straight people's fault that the movie didn't do well, um, it's the movie's fault or the movie was made for a niche audience or whatever. What's your answer to, to, to some of those questions and some of those concerns? There's a lot to unpack here. OK, let's unpack it for me. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, ask me the first question again so I can answer that quickly. Well, do you think that Billy, do you think that straight people should make more of an effort to support LGBTQ plus art because it is LGBTQ plus art. No. Mm. Here's the thing. The focus is wrong. Mm. And I'll say this until the day I die. That movie was made for us. And instead of marketing it to us, Mm. we're still made to believe that we're not valid Mm. and our stories aren't valid unless straight people 
co-sign on them. That's a problem. Look at Tyler Perry. Look at the Tyler Perry business model now. We actually have a business model. I think about Toni Morrison when she says, I'm not writing for the white gays. I'm writing for my people. So my issue is market to the people that it's for first Mm. and let the rest of them find it. It's not fair to the work because unfortunately, LGBTQ plus art is still niche. Mm. That doesn't have to be a bad thing though. Because of the internet and because of social media, niche markets have been able to find each other and connect with each other. And they are huge audiences in and of themselves. Hmm. So I feel like if it had been marketed in the proper way to us, it would have had better numbers to start with. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is it's unfair for the studio in this moment while we're still in the middle of COVID and the only things that are working at the box office in theaters are uh, superhero movies and action movies. Mm -hmm. Those are the only things that are working in traditional theater Mm -hmm. theaters. Now it's not fair to hold this film to that same standard. It should have been released in theaters and online at the same time. We're not there yet. Everybody wants to rush getting back to normal. We're not there yet. The third component is the gay people don't support our own. Mm. Let me say that once again. <laughs> we have to support our own. Mm-hmm. Whether we think it's bad or not. Mm. Right? It's like Black people supported Tyler Perry. And I love him, but that's low-hanging fruit. That's low-hanging fruit comedy. And for a long time, that was the only thing that we were allowed to have. And Black people went in droves, including me. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. It's like, how many people, how many gay boys, how many queens did I speak to who had not been? And weren't even thinking about going. The fuck is that? I'm sorry. What you can't. You can't. We, you we, we talk like that uh, here. Yeah. What the fuck is that? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's like we can't. We, this is an all hands on deck effort. And let me just say this. Bros is a game changer. Bros for you, Van, is a good movie. For us, we have never seen anything like it. Interesting. It's real. Uh It's true. It's honest. It tells all of our secrets. 
inside of a genre that is very popular inside of the, you know, I mean, they even talk about it in the movie. You know, he even has a moment in the movie where he talks about the, uh, the hangover. Yeah. It's like the hangover. It's, it's, it's in that genre. I don't know what you call it, but you know, crude comedy, raunchy, or whatever. Comedy, yeah. raunchy comedy. It's like, you know, bridesmaid. It's like that. And at the same time, the heart of it, the depths that it goes, the subject matter, it's brilliant for us. And there's never been anything like it before mm-hmm. for us in terms of the crossover marketability. Mm. It, 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 it is just like The Hangover with characters who happen to be gay. It is that, it's that great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why I'm trying to be a mogul because I've seen <laughs> it happen so often. Right. It's like you're, you're marketing to the wrong people. You're, you're, it's like market to the right people and then let it reverberate. Mm. Yeah. As a, it's, like, it's like in our politics, you know, reaching across the aisle to, to people who just spit in your face. After a certain point, it's like, well, just do it yourself, mm-hmm. right? The Democrats just need, we need to come together and do it ourselves without that. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a new world. It's like, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I, um, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned politics because that's the where I was going to go with you. I was listening yeah. to you on MSNBC. You were talking with Ari. He's got his Maverick series. It's great. Mm-hmm. It was great. And something that you said that was interesting to me because we have midterms coming up. We talk about it all the time. We talk about voting and black people specifically. And we talk about people being disenchanted with everything. You spoke about, and I'm paraphrasing here, so please correct me when I'm wrong, but struggling to encourage people in LGBTQ plus the uh, community to be, to motivate them to want to vote. You said people were there, that they're disenchanted with it. Could you talk a little bit about that? And why is that? Because, well, no, I'll let you say that and then maybe I'll do follow up. Um, For me, as an observer, the issue is it's cyclical. Everything is cyclical. The circle of life is cyclical. We have been in a progressive place for about 40, 50 years now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's slow. Yes, you know, the arc of justice, you know, all of that stuff. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we've benefited. This generation has benefited from all of the work that was done before us and while we've been here until now. It has allowed for our electorate to become entitled. None of what's going on right now is new. And yet every time I turn on the news, 
it's presented as if it is. None of it is new. Yeah, they're trying to take our voting rights away. That's not new. Yeah, voting workers are in danger. Yeah, people already died and laid their lives down for this the first time. Why should we be surprised about it? Right? And so we got, like I said on Ari, we got, you know, the Voting Rights Act. We got Civil Rights Act. We got Roe v. Wade. We got marriage equality. We got blah, 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 all this stuff. We got the Black president. And we sat on our asses for eight years and ate bonbons. Oh, it could never happen. Oh, it could never happen. Well, Frederick Douglass said over 200 years ago, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We stopped being vigilant collectively. As a collective, we stopped being vigilant because we thought we won something. And now it's time to fight again. And everyone is fatigued. Yeah, vigilance is exhausting. So what? Are we going to have a democracy or not? That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. People talk about, oh, we're going to be in a civil war. It's, you know, Trump is trying to have a civil war. We're already in it. It's a cyber civil war. It's called chaos. That's the war. It's in our minds. It's chaos every single moment of every day for everybody. That is exactly the point. Because now we're apathetic. Now we question all of the institutions, which we should. Right? right. Because why wasn't that shit codified? Yeah. I don't understand why it wasn't codified since 1973. Roe versus Wade wasn't codified. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> right. Hard to right. do. Like, what yeah. does that mean? It's not codified. <laughs> right. You know, the Voting Rights Act. What does that mean? When they voted on it, you know, like a decade or so ago, I said to myself, what are you voting on? You're voting to re-up my right to vote? Why isn't that a law? I don't understand what's going on, right? And so now all of our institutions are exposed. Mm -hmm. What are we gonna do about it? What do you mean there's nothing in place to deal with the Trump of it all? What do you mean you can't prosecute a sitting president? So then there are people who are above the law. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there are. Like I said on Ari, I was like, if I get subpoenaed and I refuse the subpoena, they throw my black ass under the jail. Why are these people not in jail? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Period. I'm sick of talking about it. Why are they not in jail? The law is bullshit. Mm. The law is not about the truth. The law is about who can tell the better story. Mm. Period. Billy, I came to know you first uh, from obviously the fantastic show Pose. But then once I saw Pose and I saw you in Pose, I started realizing that I recognized you. I'd seen you around in all kinds of things from 
all over the place. Hey, that guy was in Hitch. Like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, like started, started, started seeing you around. And then you start to pop up on red carpets. Yes. And Billy Porter on the red carpet, carpet becomes something that's not just uh, a cultural staple. It becomes almost a revolutionary act. Mm, thank you for saying that. Yes, it becomes. Thank you for that. It becomes uh, something to make America confront what it is that they're seeing. Okay. Yes. Black queer man in his glory on a red carpet at an event. Fucking deal with it. All right. Because I'm there because of my talent. Because of your because of your talent. Like full yeah. Fucking deal with it. He's here. Deal with it. I remember seeing, I remember, I just remember seeing so much talk about what Billy Porter was wearing. And sometimes it would be amongst black men. And it's one of the first times I started to realize that there is a divide that exists between straight black men and black gay men. Um, I have a friend a guy who I consider to be a friend. His name is George Johnson. He wrote a fantastic book called All Blues. Yeah, Blue, I know George. Blue, Blue yeah. And, yes. And the book is being banned everywhere. It's like yes. something specific. Good. It's, a, it's be a scared. Fan, it's something fantastic. The book is fantastic. It's, there's something specifically maddening to America about black male queerness. This is not for me to leave out our sisters. But black male queerness seems to be particularly triggering to America, even amongst like our own community. Mostly amongst our own community. As a black man, as a straight black man, (laughs) how do you feel like, what do you feel like needs to be done to strengthen the bond or to like talk out some of the issues that we might have between our brothers um, in the LGBTQ community, like what does does Billy Porter think about a guy like Lil Boosie, who so many black men seem to be championing some of the things that he says uh, in regards to, to to gay rights or gay people, a little Nas X or whatever. It seems like there's a deep divide, and I'm not quite sure how we get to the other side of it. Well, the first thing we talk about, I think is the alignment. How are we aligned? How are we the same? The black community is still fighting for our basic human rights. And then we turn around very often and oppress another group of people on the outside. None of us are free till we're all free. You don't have to like me. I'm not looking for your approval. I'm not looking for your understanding. I don't need that. I validate myself. But what I demand is respect for my humanity. Like I respect yours. And I don't understand why that conversation is so hard. You know, and it's like the same Bible that the black church uses and a lot of churches use against the queer community 
is the same Bible that the white folks used to say that we were three-fifths of human beings. We're all human first. And that is the conversation. That's where we start. When George Floyd happened, Black Lives Matter happened. And then I turn on my Instagram, excuse me, and there's a gang of Black men beating up a trans girl at the 7-Eleven. No. The answer to that is no and fuck you. And I mean it. You want your rights? Then y'all need to start acting right for everybody else. We are all human on this planet. And I got online and I said it and I said it and I called the black community out for that. And I got a lot of shit for it. I don't care. You called the black community out for what specifically? For calling them out on that Mm. intersection. It's like, what are y'all doing? We're black first. Right. I'm a black man before I'm a queer man. Do you think that they were beating that black queer lady because they were black men, though? I think I don't I don't care why. Right. I don't care. The reason I don't care about the reason. Okay. The visual is you're a black man marching for black rights and you're beating a black trans girl in a store because you don't get it. Yeah. No. It's not okay on any level. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. You know, and so to be held accountable, we can do all this marching, we can do all this talking, we can do all this organizing. They kicked Byron Rustin out. Not many people even know who he they was. Al- they almost never let him in. I mean, they he. <laughs> He taught Martin Luther King Jr. what nonviolence was, and he was a queen, honey, and out, and they kicked him out of the movement. He organized that march on Washington for jobs and freedom. He did that, and they kicked the faggot out. Period. Enough is enough. And this idea, and it's not just black people, This idea that masculinity is the only thing that is um, viable in our culture is bullshit. And it's not just America. Mm -hmm. Look at those people over there with the, you know, like what, where was it? The man didn't want to have a interview with old girl because she wouldn't wear the the thing, you know? It's about male power. Yeah. It's about power. It's toxic. You know, and now it's getting called out. And when it gets called out, it, it, there's always a pushback. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like too bad to me, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Too bad. You know, I sat for decades with nothing, no work, no nothing, because I wasn't masculine enough. Hmm. I wasn't masculine enough. I couldn't get arrested for work. 
When I came out of drama school, if you didn't play a thug or a drug dealer or a drug addict, you didn't have no work under the age of 40. You didn't. And I didn't. Hmm. I was a faggot and I was to be silenced and put out. It's my turn now to speak. And I am grateful and so humbled that I lived long enough to see this day Mm -hmm. because that part is real. And what I want to say to the world from a positive angle is the change has already happened. The change has already happened. That's why the pushback is so severe, right? Mm -hmm. We have to sit in the fullness and the glory of that. Look at me. I was not possible till like five and a half minutes ago, I was not possible doing what I'm doing in the world right now. I wasn't. You know what I mean? Like it was not possible. When these things happen, like when you, when you see the the baby or little Bootsy or other black men get in trouble for saying things, would you ever want to talk to them? Would you ever want to talk to Boosie or talk to the baby? Or first talk- of all, or I don't you. know who they are. Let me say that, and here's the reason. Right, right, right. And right. I, because I talk about it in my book. Yeah. Hip hop came along. My 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 childhood was very traumatizing. Mm-hmm. I was bullied. I was beaten. I was put out of the church. I was all of those things, and hip hop started to emerge. And the first narrative was the first narrative was fuck the police. The second narrative on the list was kill the faggots. Mm. I missed hip hop because I had to extract myself from that energy so I could save myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know nothing about it. I don't know who these people are. You know, I let the, the hip hop singers in Mary J. Blige, you know, the the the, the nice rappers you know, the puffies and the things like that. Yep, I got all of that. But I missed a lot of that culture. I'm not proud of it. And it was for my own survival. Mm. That makes sense. So I don't know none of these people. (laughs) It's okay, Billy. I don't know about your movie. I don't know who the fuck that is. Just like he don't know who I am. He may now, right? But when people come for me, yeah, and talk about you to me shoving my gayness down their throats and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, turn the page. Yeah. Turn it off. Like I did. Damn. You talked about- For decades, for decades, I turned those motherfuckers off. And you say you do it to protect your peace, which I love, because that's that's a question I wanted to know. I mean, I want to get into your book. You mentioned your book, Unprotected. I want to know why you titled it that, what you want people to to learn about you that they didn't already know. But I also want to get into the mental health aspect of it because yeah. I know that's heavy and that's a lot for yeah. you. And you yeah. talk about separating yourself from from the stuff that was attacking you. But what what else do you do to protect your peace as well? Well, I will say first and foremost that my art is my healer and my savior. Mm. Art heals. Yeah. Period. Um, you know, that's that's the simplest mm. and most concise answer for me because okay. I found art early. 
you know, around 11 years old. And I talk about it and doing my first musical in middle school and, you know, turning on the Tony Awards by accident and seeing Jennifer Holiday, mm-hmm. you know, and Dream Girls sing And I'm Telling You and being shook and understanding so early. Oh, that's my way out. And that's how I keep my sanity. And still to this day, it's that. Yeah. When I feel like I can't take it anymore, I come right to the computer. Well, almost every day I, you know, I did a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And, you know, it's about excavating the real, you know, truth inside yourself as an artist and everybody's an artist, blah, blah, blah. But she has this thing called morning pages. And um, in 2000, I started them. And I tell you, it is every, almost every day I sit down and it's stream of consciousness thought that just comes out. That's my meditation. Ideas come from there. Answers get questions, uh, uh, questions get answered in that space. And um, it really does help to clear my mind so that I can move forward um, with some sort of, of uh, peace and presence mm-hmm. and loving kindness and compassion. Um, that's really, I feel really lucky to have that. And I've also been in therapy for over 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not possible for a lot of people. It's a very expensive. Um, I feel blessed to have been able to afford it, but I also did have a therapist who let me not pay her for like 12 years. Oh, that's oh wow. And then I hit and I gave her a big fact check. There you go. Mm. There you, go. you know, so I've been really, the universe has really taken care of me in ways that speak to the why I'm here. You know, there is a calling on my life. There's a purpose. Dare I say a ministry. There's a reason I'm here. And that is the reason I've been able to survive. I came out in 1985. We went straight to the front lines to fight for our lives during the AIDS crisis. And I had to listen to my own people on, on, you know, on a, a loop tell me every day that AIDS was God's punishment. Mm. I am HIV positive. It took me 14 years to tell my mother that. Damn. When I tell you I am free mm-hmm. and I am grounded in the truth that has set me free And I'm ready to be the witness and the vessel that I was put on this earth to be, period. That might be the single greatest conclusion to an interview that we've ever had, (laughs) Billy. That's Billy Porter. (laughs) We really, really appreciate you joining us on Higher Learning. Uh, Plug, 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 plug the things you want people to support, buy, look at. 
yes plug 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 away billy well um my book unprotected comes out in paperback Mm -hmm. tomorrow and i'm trying to get it on the new york times bestseller list because it came out last year at this time and there were no book tours to go on Mm -hmm. and i caught covid Oh, yeah. And I'm stuck in England. So oh now I'm out and I'm doing some promoting of that. Um, the last text in my book is a song that I wrote with the late, great Andrea Martin, who wrote songs like uh, Show Me Love and Hold On to Your Love. She passed away re- recently. And it's a song called Stranger Things. And it speaks to where we are, all are right now. And what I hope that it can, and it's the last text in my book. And I'm releasing it as a surprise single within the next couple of weeks with the hopes that people will be inspired and motivated to release their fears um, and go to the polls. Yeah. And remember that, like, it doesn't matter what they're trying to do to block us. This is the only tool that we have in this moment to make sure that humanity survives. And so the song is called Stranger Things. And the the intention behind it is don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. Remember that stranger things have already happened to all of us and our ancestors. It's already happened. We're going to be fine. But we have to activate, you know, those are the two things, the the two top things for me. Um, Be on the lookout for my pop music that's coming. Yes. Uh, Anything's Possible, which is my first film that I directed, dropped on uh, Amazon Prime on July 22nd. Eighty-six percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, nice! Know. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, you know that's a good thing that I hear. Um, <laughs> and I am, you know, there's a lot happening. Right. Um, and I just feel really blessed. And you know, join me on my social media. It's the Billy Porter, T H E E Billy Porter. Um, I'm all about love mm-hmm. and spreading that. So if you have some bullshit to say, stay off my page. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was Billy Porter. Thank you for joining us today. Thank on you so Highlight. much. Thank you. It was a thank you, you so much. It's good to see you. All right, brother. Same. And um, thank you. No problem. Appreciate Take you, my man. Take care. All right. Take care, Billy. Rachel, what'd you think about Billy? Oh, I love talking to Billy. You like At any time. But I loved him in this space. Because I've, you know, I've had him through extra, which is different. But to have him in this space where Billy's always going to be Billy, but where mm-hmm. we can be more, ask him questions about specifically about the black community mm. and how he feels like the question with hip hop about how the black community has responded to his very being. Yeah, Very, very interesting conversation. What I also find, you said you watch Pose. I love Pose. Pose is good. And we didn't get all into this with Billy because, you know, if we could, I would have talked to him for two hours plus. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, he shares that he came out in 2007 that he was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. And that's when he started. It took him 14 years or he found out in 2007. I guess he just he just announced it, found out in 2007. So mm-hmm. he told he told um, his family and the world that he's HIV positive. And then you watch Pose and his character is mirroring what's really happening to in him life. in real life, mm-hmm. how he had to tell his family and friends and 
like he's he's talked about it before about the gift of being able in in the form of art to tell a story that took him forever to be able to to tell. So I don't know. He's just he's such a fascinating, fascinating I'm a, person and I'm continuing learn, to knocking down doors. I'm gonna learn how to do that dance like they be doing on post. You know where they fall Go. where they fall okay. to the ground and they put their do, leg down like they're doing a hurdle. Do a, um like at the balls. Yeah, but no, I'm talking about like one specific dance. Coming to the stage. Come on, get up, get up, get up. No, I can't do it right now. I don't have the flexibility. But um, <laughs> but there's one dance where they do it. They fall down and they fall down and their leg goes out like that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to bust that bitch one day. Yeah, it's called, it has a name. You don't know. I think it's called the death drop. Nah, I'm not doing but that. Then, but, but wait, I can't fuck with I the said death it drop. to someone and they said, you can't call it that anymore. Why? Because I didn't ask. It was in an interview. Why can't you call it the death drop? Death drop dance. Yeah. They said, don't call it that anymore. But I didn't ask it what, says, you're, what you're supposed to call it. It says death drop is the type of dance dramatically falls back to end the dance. RuPaul, stop letting people say death drop on Drag Race. It's See? out.com. This is from years ago. A shablam and a death drop. It's called a shablam. Yeah, so that's why I was like, I I know that's what it is, but you're not supposed to call it that. So what is it? A shablam. It's a shablam. Not no approach. It's a shablam. It's a call it. It's called a dip. It's basically does a does a does a dip. No period. It's called a dip. A dip. A shablam or a death drop. It's called a dip. Some people. I'm not sure, but I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna hit that bitch one day. And everybody's <laughs> gonna be so. I'm watch watch. As soon as I get my um my my quads right, like flexible. Mm-hmm. Because if I hit it right now, my spine will, like, nah. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm, if you're going to do it, I want you to be able to get back up. Peak white mess. Climate activists arrested after throwing mashed potatoes on a $110 million Monet painting. Two protesters were arrested after hurling the most liquidy and gross-looking mashed potatoes. That was <laughs> Who wrote that? Donnie did. Liquidy. On a Claude Monet painting <laughs> inside the Museum Berberni in Potsdam, Germany. Uh, here's the audio. Right, we can't hear shit. They're talking in a different language. Donnie, Donnie can I ask you a Donnie. question? Donnie. Donnie, just real quick. Yes. How many motherfuckers that listen to the pod you think speak German? So, you know what? This is for the people who are watching on Spotify. Man, whatever, I'm going to be Donnie. playing it along with video and there's subtitles. It's like so you to can read it. Well, then there, what are we supposed to do with to, it, Donnie? You should have just said... We could just Y'all throw it to it beforehand. Get them right. Nah. It's a problem when I get upset, Donnie. Yeah, Donnie, you got to do <laughs> shit in the correct way. And you're not really doing that. You know what I'm saying? Right now, that's on. I'm cutting all this out. Set. No, no, no. Keep out. it in. Did you see <laughs> what? the mashed potatoes I on the painting? On the Monet. Did you know they were mashed potatoes? No. What did you think it was? I thought it was like shit. Yellow paint is what I thought. Really? What do you think about stuff like this? They're protesting for climate change. Okay. I don't get it. Uh, you don't. It says it wasn't that damaged. The The painting wasn't. Uh, after an immediate conservation investigation, Grain Sacks is a $110 million 
painting. The German activist, climate activist group, The Last Generation, took responsibility for the, the, the incident. If it takes painting with mashed potatoes or tomato soup thrown at it, if it takes a painting with mashed potatoes or tomato soup thrown at it to make society remember that the fossil fuels course is killing us all, then we'll give it to you. What do you think of this? Nothing. <laughs> I just, I'm not trying to be rude. Right. But I would love for someone to explain to me how you doing this gesture is going to make me want to stand up for climate change. Damn. And this just goes for anybody. Rachel's a bootleg. No, no, no. This goes for anybody. This goes when people throw like the paint on furs and stuff. I mean, like I, it's not making me say, you know what? I'm not going to, I don't want to eat meat anymore. what What would make you say that? That's the question. What would make you what would make you pay attention to the climate, which I think that you do. But what yeah. what what would make you say that? Is there so you say that this see, won't make you what would make you? When I see exactly what climate change is doing to our to the earth. That kind of like real life stuff of you doing this is affecting the earth in this way. That to me, there's a cause and an effect. Right. That why are you looking at me like that? That stands because out I, more to me than <laughs> right. than you doing, you know, like I don't know, running naked with the with the message painted on your body. Like it, it the the effect lasts for five seconds. So I, I guess my thing is I understand what you're saying, but I guess my thing is the examples of climate change are kind of everywhere, you know, and and I get it, and I think that sometimes in living our human lives. We go, hey, it's a little warmer, or we go, wow, that that hurricane was really bad, or absolutely, we, and and it, and because as animals and creatures living on this planet, we adapt to survive and we get used to different things. You're right. Then it might be that we can get complacent mm. about these issues, and sometimes activists like this take things that we hold valuable, and they go. That's not really valuable. What's actually valuable is fucking chlorophyll or the sun or I get that. or fucking the ocean or whatever. And so they have to sometimes shock us. I don't think I'm I think but I like, understand. Are you immediately going to look up climate change? And when you see that, are we just going to talk about this story? I get you destroying something that people have placed value in when they're I get all of that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what are we doing after that? Well, they're doing a lot. It's what they do all the time. They do, but they're trying to get our attention for people right. who aren't in the fight all the time. Huh. I think what they're attempting to do, though, is just make you talk about it and make you know who they are and maybe that they're talking about it. Now, I didn't know the name of this group. Now I'm looking at the German climate activist group, The Last Generation. I have an idea of who they are. And maybe we have a little conversation about climate. It's awareness, man. It's awareness, man. Uh, Oakland Police... Revealed to have discussed using armed robots. Um, the potential use of robots outfitted with the firing power of a shotgun, fuck, was discussed at a recent meeting involving Oakland police and local community members. The discussion came roughly two hours into a meeting last month with a civilian oversight group with Lieutenant Omar Daza Quirez of the Oklahoma of the Oakland Police Department, reportedly to have initially detailed how police might, I'm sorry, how police might keep safety in mind when dealing with a percussion 
activated non-electric disruptor. The device is attached to a robot and designed to use standard commercial blank shotgun shells. Although special modified loads have been mentioned previously uh, when they have discussed this. So robot with a shotgun in Oakland. Oakland Police Department has responded to this. OPD is not adding armed remote vehicles to the department. OPD did take part in an ad hoc committee discussion with the Oakland Police Commission and community members to explore all possible uses for the vehicle. However, after further discussions with the chief and executive team, the department decided no longer wanted to explore that particular option. Rachel, what do you think? What do you think about the use of killer robots? Because that's exactly what they are. Controlled by the police. I don't like robots, period. You don't like them? The other day, I was making a right-hand turn, and I let the pedestrians walk through, and I turned, and I almost hit a robot that was carrying food. Postmates robot? I don't like it. I don't trust it. Yeah. Now, it did sense my car and stopped, and I didn't end up hitting it. Right. But what if it had... Humans make mistakes, right? Robots are going to make mistakes. The fact that we would even, I saw this, this was wild to me. The fact that we would even equip a robot who, is the robot controlling itself? Is somebody controlling the robot? If we can't even get police officers charged and convicted when they gun down Mm -hmm. people, who's going to hold a robot accountable? Right. Who's going to be responsible? How do you even monitor this? How do you know that somebody's not going to take the shotgun and use it on somebody else? How do you know the robots are? I just, we have to defend ourselves questions. against so many different things. Now we would have to possibly do it against robots. The fact that this was even a discussion is disgusting yeah. to me. So the company that makes these robots, uh, it's called Dixiecom. Dixie what? Dixiecom. And they, the robots are called the NK5000. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, you're not. You're lying. You're lying. <laughs> what? what? Dixie makes these robots. They're called the Nigga Killer Five Thousands. <laughs> Dixie Com is 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 Dixie Tech. It's a subsidiary of Dixie Tech. And so, you know what I think about when I think about this? This is why we have the question about police budgets. <laughs> right. We're talking about everything except what we need to talk about, right? We're we're not asking. It's 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 useful that there was conversation with an oversight committee in terms of this, but this is not what we need to talk about. We'll need to be talking about high tech nigga killing robots. What we need to talk about is what Philip McHarris was talking about on our podcast last time. How we imagine and reimagine public safety and take the funds that would be used to make a to make Robocop, okay, and actually divert them and push them in an area that can have long lasting effects on the communities that the police are de- dealing with and interacting with, right? If you're gonna spend all of this money <laughs> on a potential robot from Dixiecom, like, you know what I mean? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The NK5000. Look at him. Look at him. Right there. There's a special technology inside these motherfuckers. These motherfuckers are tough. Look, listen, there's a special technology inside of them. Any shade that goes past beige, open fucking fire. 
fucking shoot your pecker off. Shoot you're 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 not gonna be able to survive in K five thousand. We're taking over anyway. Um. So yeah. So this is what we're talking about. We, I, we see police and you know police obviously they need some high tech stuff if there's a bomb to be defused stuff like that. But when we're looking at public safety. These are the questions that we ask when we talk about policing. We shouldn't be talking about robots. We should talk be talking about robust initiatives to help communities actually attack the problems that they deal with on a day-to-day basis. And people who are qualified and equipped to come in the event of something going wrong, to de-escalate these situations, to protect and safeguard life. It has nothing to do with... Fucking putting a shotgun on a robot. Do you know how fucking stupid that sounds? Like shotgun on a robot to fucking make sure it's just dumb. It's more dumb shit. You're talking about people that need to be trained properly. Well, who's going to train the robots? The same people who are already messing up. It's just such a recipe. It's it's terrifying. I just don't. This was on the agenda, yeah. man. This was on the agenda. I don't care about an overseas committee <laughs> looking at this. Why was this on the agenda? Why did we even explore this as an option? The only option should be to trash this. I want to know. I want to talk to the person whose idea this was. So it's apparently Dazaqueros. Dazaqueros. Kudos, Dazakiros. And according to Dazakiros, they still are looking into official language that would enable emergency use killer robots. I just, we, what's, we talk about the lack of faith that we have in the Supreme Court. My, the cops, man, right, right now, if I would put the cops would only have toothpicks as their weapons. They would only have emotions at this point. I just can't trust them. And th- th- these robots, this is going to be a bad situation. This is going to be some fucking Call of Duty shit. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. All right. Before we get out of here, I got to talk to you about the McRib because it's back. I don't think you should do this. You ever eat a McRib? Never. I wouldn't. I don't like that name. Donnie. Simply the name McRib sounds absolutely <laughs> disgusting to me. You ever had the McRib? A Mc- Rib. I haven't. No. It doesn't have bones. It It doesn't have bones. Yeah. Like, I just, there is something not right. It's right up there with the liquid yellow mashed potatoes. There's something Mm -hmm. not right about a McRib. And honestly, I don't think you should be talking about this after the post that you posted today. What post did I post today? Oh, talking about the post with with me? It was great. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The way you talk to yourself, the pep talk, I don't think the McRib language goes, I don't think you should go down this road. Okay, so here's the thing about the McRib. Um, uh, Like, here's the thing about the McRib. This is the thing about the McRib. It's good. That's it. I haven't had a McRib in years. But let me tell you something, and I won't eat a McRib. Good. I won't have a McRib. I haven't had a McRib in years. Let me tell you something. There, McDonald's, I don't really eat McDonald's that much. Okay. Ever, basically. We ate it that night. We came home from the Oscar party. But here's the thing. Different McDonald's foods have different wavelengths. Like, remember the Arch Deluxe? Remember that? No, I don't eat at McDonald's. Donnie, do you remember the Arch Deluxe? I like the, the chicken Deluxe? nuggets and the fries. That's it. Don't. I'm Googling it. What is the Arch Deluxe? The Arch Deluxe. It was a burger, right, that McDonald's had. Sometimes you're in the mood for Arch Deluxe. Sometimes you're in the mood for Big Mac. Sometimes you move for a double quarter pounder for cheese. And sometimes you're in the mood to sit down with the McRib with the rib sauce 
and the fries right next to it and a really strong Sprite. Because when you're going to get the McRib, you want light ice in the Sprite because you want the Sprite to have the bite. Because that bite from that Sprite is it offends you. It's an offensive bite for the Sprite at McDonald's. And there was a moment in my life, I could, it could be said, that I had a really, really, really strong relationship with the McRib. <laughs> McDonald's is saying that this might be the last time Good. that they ever have the McRib. My question to you, very serious question of the week. And you'd never eat at McDonald's before. I've had chicken nuggets or fries. But I can count on one hand how many times I've been to McDonald's in my life. Wait, you've never had a Big Mac? No. Oh. Never in my life. Two all beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, Wait, you've never in your life had a Big Mac before? <laughs> never in my life. Swear on copper. Donnie, what, what are your thoughts on something like that, bro? You see what I'm saying? That's wild. I'm sure I'm not alone. I've oh, never, who've never, I've never won- eaten at Burger King. You've never in your life eaten at Bur- Burger Whoa. King. I might have had so somebody's fries. You never had a fries. Big Mac or a Whopper. You never had Big Mac or a Whopper. Mm-mm. And my parents used to stop there all the time. They used to love Burger King. What did you? So what did you eat? Pork I, chop sandwiches, nigga. <laughs> what the fuck? Like <laughs> I had chicken nuggets at Wendy's. Okay. <laughs> have you ever had? Have you ever had a fast food burger? burger period. I had In N Out and it solidified why I don't eat fast food burgers. In N Out burgers are good. Uh, so you never had, you never ate at Five Guys before? No. You never eat at Wendy's. You never had a burger from Wendy's. No. Do just you the, like hamburgers? Just the nuggets. So I read that book, Fast Food. Um, what was it called? Fast, fast Food, food Nation, what, yeah. Fast Food Nation. So you ask about things that, you, that you're like, what would impact you? What would change your mind? When I read that, it made me not really. I've, I have eaten hamburgers. But if I look down into a burger, it absolutely disgusts me because I think about that book. So you can't. So you don't like hamburgers. So that's why you haven't had it. But I. But I. But I do. I have. I've eaten them since. But if I have to, I avoid them. So this is Van's very serious question of the week. What is one fast food item that they don't have anymore that you wish they would bring back? Jesus fucking Christ. What's going on? I mean, you know, you all the mean? fast food that I eat that's still available. Yeah. Donnie, are you going to try to make a podcast? It just uh, <laughs> Donnie, me, do you have one? Because I feel like you're with me. Give me one. I have, no, I have to think on it. I haven't eaten fast food in a while. I've been trying to be healthier. I but, haven't eaten um, it in a while either, but I still have an answer. Yeah. It's the McRib What's your for answer? you? It's not the McRib. McDonald's had something. Five, six years ago, maybe longer, maybe 10, it's 2012, so maybe it's like 2014. McDonald's came out with their own wings. Ew. They were called Mighty Wings. Even worse. Donnie, did you ever have Mighty Wings? <laughs> I didn't. I remember that, and I thought, I don't want wings from McDonald's. I, you Like, the name alone. You <laughs> fucking missed out if it's anything like the mighty wings McRib, were no. bomb mighty wings were really i couldn't believe that mighty wings were as good as what they were the mighty wings were hidden just, they were hidden just call them wings they were mighty wings man <laughs> just just were, call them wings. mighty wings for mcdonald's look you can't tell me look mighty wings oh god 
That don't look good. That looks good. It's mine anyway. It looks incomplete. And and Rachel, <laughs> man, Rachel, you ain't never eat a hamburger, nigga. You can't tell me about no goddamn mighty wings. Oh, chicken? I know. And that is it. So, so there's nothing from any that fast a, food place. Like, do you eat from Popeye's? Is there nothing that. Yes, they still have my chicken at Popeye's. There's, there's nothing that you've ever gotten at any fast food place that they don't make anymore. No, because I'm not a regular fast food eater. Donnie, nothing. There's nothing that you can think of. Is there a fast food? Is there a fast food restaurant that they don't have anymore? Checkers. Uh, checkers. They still check- have checkers. Not in checkers Texas. Checkers are around. Not in Texas. There's this place in Baton Rouge called Fast Track that I loved. Fast Track drive through is all you do. I used to love that place. <laughs> is that your song or the actual? That was the, that was the, that was the jingle that they had. Fast Track drive through is all you do. There was a guy at, at Fast Track. And he was the best fast track worker. His name was Wes Weeks. <laughs> he plays linebacker for LSU. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go. Take the caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lincoln Jr. <laughs> and I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Bye, guys. <laughs>